Do you manage a sports team for a school or athletic organization? And do you need help finding qualified vetted coaches? I'd like to tell you all about my sponsorship called Coach Corner. Check it out at www.coachcorner.io, your hub for premier coaching talent. Also, are you an athletic coach of any level looking for your next coaching job in your area? Check out www.coachcorner.io, your hub for premier coaching talent. Coach Corner is a network of coaches and teams growing rapidly across the U.S., and their only goal is to help teams find coaches and coaches find teams. And now, when you sign up to partner with Coach Corner as a coach or athletic organization, if you enter referral code DOME, D-O-M-E, all caps, you will be entered into a rolling raffle for free Coach Corner swag and cash prizes. That's referral code DOME at www.coachcorner.io, your hub for premier coaching talent. Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Dome podcast. I'm here uh, with my my uh, my uh, my guest Jordan Newman, who I feel like is like an unofficial NBA correspondent to the Off the Dome pod because I feel like every round we're going to be doing one of these. Uh, before um, we get into it, want to make a quick shout out to my sponsors, Brain Fuel and Coach Corner. Thank you guys um, for willing to be a sponsor of the, sh- of the show. Uh, Jordan, happy to have you back on. Great to be back. Excited to talk some more basketball. Get ready for enjoy this second round. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be, it's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be a very much intense uh, second round. And this is like, this is so, this has been, I don't want to, I don't want to like be having recency bias here. This has been probably the most fun playoffs I think we've witnessed uh, So in, in the last couple of years. This is the first time in NBA playoff history that our seeds one through eight are in the second round. Like, it's crazy. Like, it's in order. Like, there's like, a, it's like, it's, it's crazy. This just shows that we were talking about this before we started airing this pod. The bottom teams that people think are just underdogs are like good and like are contenders. And the top seeded teams we question more than the bottom seeded teams. Yeah, there's a lot of variability in modern basketball, just the way the styles are. There's so many good players. Like all 16 playoff teams had star power. That's why there's like, I mean, you see the eight seeded Heat obviously have star power. And that's why there's upsets because. The stars are going to shine at this time and everyone's got stars. Now there's like 50 stars in the league. It just, the league's never been better. So fucking crazy. It's fucking nuts. Uh, it's, it's crazy. It, it's, it's great to show that like playoff play uh, players that you kind of underlook in the regular season, that all of a sudden just come into the playoffs and just absolutely be incredible. Like Jimmy Butler, we're going to talk about this one, the Miami heat versus New York Knicks playoff regular season, Jimmy Butler, put up modest numbers, but playoff Jimmy Butler is like prime Jordan. What he did in the first rounds of the Milwaukee Bucks was Jordan type numbers. And, and he once again, toughed it out 
and had a really solid game against the Miami, against the uh, New York Knicks, who, who they lead in the series 1-0. Now, Jimmy Butler, after the game, rolled when he rolled his ankle, when the reporter asked, how does he feel? He's like, 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 a, like a rolled ankle. He still had 25 and 11, very efficient, 8 of 16 from the floor. He lead the series 1-0, albeit they did it to a Knicks team without Julius Randle. Uh, what do you, I, this is like one of those classic NBA rivalries renewed between the Miami heat and the New York Knicks. They've had so many playoff battles back and forth. Uh, I'm very, personally, I'm very split on where to go with this. It really depends on the health for each team and Randall's injury. And now Jimmy Butler's injury and the Knicks being one of the better stories of the year, the Miami heat just all of a sudden becoming like a legit threat in the playoffs. Like, what is your gut telling you right now? Like, and what matchups did you see today that you think could be key moving forward in this first round between in this round between the Heat and Knicks? I mean, a lot of it is going to depend on Randall's health. Right. But I feel pretty good about the Knicks, even though they lost today. Uh, one like big thing I always look at after the games is the three point stats. Because as a defense, you don't have full control over whether the team is making threes or not. And I watched this one. The Knicks were seven for 34 from three for 21%. That is luck on the Heat's part. That wasn't because of their defense. So I buy that. I actually think the Knicks outplayed the Heat today and got better shots, and the shots just didn't fall. That happens sometimes. I thought they got the looks they wanted, and they just weren't going in. Um, I don't know if Grimes is a hundred percent. I'm not a hundred percent sure why he only played 10 minutes. I think he needs to play more, uh, as a shooter. And obviously he's really good defensively too. I think Jalen Brunson's not going to go over seven from three again. Um, their main guys taking a lot of threes. Obi Toppin was four for 11. He hit four of their seven threes. Randall's gravity. If he comes back also will help out because he draws help and the threes will be even slightly more open than they were today, even though today they were pretty open. So I feel good about the Knicks. Um, the other reasons I feel good, I think they'll do a solid enough job on Jimmy, make him work for his points. He's going to get his efficient numbers, and I mean, he's an amazing player. In the playoffs, he's a clear top 10 player, if not better. Um, but Josh Hart does a really good job on him and can match him physically. Josh did a good job on him today. Uh, Bam sometimes struggles to score in length, so I think Mitchell Robinson is going to give him problems throughout the series. And I don't think Kyle Lowry is going to play as well as he played today. So the Knicks, when Duncan Robinson was in there, did a good job attacking him, attacking that mismatch. I think they could hunt Kevin Love a little bit more, uh, get him in ball screens action, make him have in defense screens with Brunson. And I just don't think Jimmy's going to have the offensive energy because they have to put him on Brunson or Brunson's going to kill. And that's going to take a lot out of him. So I don't think he's going to be putting up many 40 point games this series. He'll probably have one because he's Jimmy and he's insane. So I think the Knicks will win in like six, but Jimmy and Spo are, they're tough. I mean, Spo's the best coach in the NBA to me. Incredible game planner, great at adjusting on the fly. Um, and they're just a tough, experienced group, but they're not going to shoot as well as they shot against the Bucs. They shot 45% in three. Today they just shot okay. But the main reason is I like the Knicks process today. Shots just didn't go in. I think shots are going to fall.
So you're saying it's more of an aberration than it, you think than you think it's more of a blip than a trend with the series. Yes, the shooting. I would have to rewatch the film to make sure my instincts are right and that they were really open looks, but live, I think they're pretty good looks that they were missing that just go in normally. Yeah, I agree with you on that end. Uh I don't think the Knicks are going to shoot seven of 34 from three, which is 20.6%. I don't see that. The Knicks actually are a bigger team than the Miami Heat than the, than the Heat are uh, with Bam being kind of an undersized five. And Mitchell Robinson is going to continue to get grab boards. I mean, he grabbed 14. The defense wasn't too bad. And, and your guy Brunson had a solid game, even though he was 0 for seven from three, which – I don't expect that to be the case anymore. Um, the bench has to be better for the Knicks. Quickly was kind of quiet, only with nine. And Hartenstein, who's not really a scorer, but only two. I think it's going to come down to which bench is going to execute at a higher level. And I think it's going to come down to pretty much Randall's health. And it's really about health. This is like the theme of the playoffs this year. When you see all these stars like Kawhi and Paul George not being hurt and you see with Giannis even missing some games and you see uh, tons of of stars being hurt you see Joel Embiid and we're going to talk heavily about that series in just a few minutes he's dealing with an injury and we don't know when he's going to play in this in this second round after he suffered that um, injury in the first round against Brooklyn so I think the theme of this playoffs is going to be like the theme of this series it's not only going to be the team that executes better, it's going to be the team that's the healthiest amongst the two. Or it, That's pretty much what it is. It's about war and attrition during these playoffs. The injuries are crazy. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, this might be a year that whatever team stays healthy the longest is going to win the championship. Also two years ago, too, remember, I mean, Denver had an injury. They didn't play Jamal Murray and then the and then Anthony Davis with the Lakers had the groin and LeBron was dealing with a bad ankle and there was ton and Kawhi Leonard even tore his ACL in the playoffs against the jazz two years ago. So, and Kyrie Irving hurt his ankle against the Milwaukee bucks two years ago. And he Same said, hamstring. yes. And he Kyrie Irving recently said in an interview, if it was, it wasn't for his injury, they would have won the championship. I don't know. Bad. Killing the bucks before. Yes. Uh, so, it's really going to come down to which team's going to execute the best down the stretch and which team's the healthiest, which is the theme of this series between the Heat and the Knicks. Of Randall's health, not healthy, it's going to be tough for the Knicks uh, just because, well, RJ's playing great. RJ's been great. Since, RJ's been great. Which since been Stephen great. A called him out, he's played very well. Yes, he he's, he's been great. Quick's got to step up. He hasn't been great in the playoffs so far at all. Um, he's not getting a rhythm. Maybe they should bring him in a little bit earlier and play him with Brunson a little more so he can get like at the beginning of the game so he can get some easy shots. Um, like they're bringing him in around like three minutes left in the first quarter. Maybe bring him in to get a rhythm because if he can be that guy coming off the bench getting 16 18, that'll really help. Hartenstein's not going to score a lot, but he does a lot of great things. So I'm good with him scoring two points, honestly. Especially, like, he's not a shot creator, so no. nothing runs through him. He's going to get all his garbage buckets are going to be his only points. But, like, quick, quick as the do more. He's been good defensively in, in the first series. 
and he didn't really do anything specifically wrong defensively today, but they need his scoring without Randall because it just puts a lot of in shot creation because it puts a lot of pressure on Jalen to have to create everything. And Jalen had five turnovers today and very probably a low key, very inefficient game from your, from your friend Jalen Brunson today. Yeah. He's got to play better. Said it in an interview. He will he'll watch the film and just see it's causing his turnovers and he'll make more threes. I agree. Uh, this I'm really split on who to pick in this series because my heart says Jimmy Butler, right? I doubted him last series. I thought the he would get gentlemen swept, like which both of us predicted on the pod when we did that. We thought Bucks would win that series in five games. A lot of people, including us two, were wrong on that. I want to say my heart says the Miami Heat because of Jimmy Butler and because of their championship experience, because I'm a big Eric Spolster fan, and I like the Miami Heat culture that Pat Riley installed with that franchise. But unfortunately, I'm probably going – I'm going to pick the New York Knicks in seven games because I trust Julius Randle with his health, and I trust the Knicks have better shooting and just more overall depth than the Miami Heat do because they're without Tyler Hero with his broken hand, which I do think is going to play into effect as the series goes along. So I'm going to say the New York Knicks win this series in seven games. No hero is huge. I agree with that. We'll see how consistent Gabe Vincent can be. He played good today. He's he's played well. He played well in game five, and he's and look, he he picked right up where we where he left off in game one. Just a lot less proven than Tyler, so I don't buy that he's gonna continue. And no Victor Oladipo, too. That's huge. Right. Huge. I don't buy that Gabe Vincent's gonna continue having 20 point games either. I agree. And I want to talk about this next series. And I was very about the Celtics Sixers series. And unfortunately, with the Sixers, despite the fact that they wrapped their series up the quickest amongst the teams in the front in the playoffs against the Brooklyn Nets, and they got much needed rest. Unfortunately, Joel Embiid has an LCL sprain, which is more severe than an MCL sprain. And typically that'd be four to six weeks. And he is listed as doubtful for tomorrow night against Boston, which is a huge blow. It's already was going to be a tough series regardless. I had that in a seven game series, but it makes things even more tough and it takes a big hit to their depth. And they're so reliant on Embiid down low and the Sixers already don't have as great of wing depth defensively to match up with Boston's um, um, star power. And I'm very, I was really hoping MB would be healthy and he's not. And that puts a big dent pending on where, again, this is a theme that I'm going to reiterate during the pod. It's health of during the playoffs, which team's going to be the healthiest and who executes the best. And unfortunately, this is a nightmare new as not nightmarish of a news. If you're a Sixer fan that you could hope for. Um, who do you like? I, I'm not, I don't think we're going to spend as much time talking about the series as we are with the other series coming up, but who do you like in this series? Cause like, I thought if MB would play, it'd be like a seven game series. Like if he was fully healthy, but now I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, yeah, I, I don't buy that Embiid could be healthy with an LCL sprain. I think there's a chance we don't even see him play. 
Really? Yeah. I mean, if they just look at the future, I don't know. It's risky. I don't know enough about this injury and how much it risks for greater injuries. Joel's got a big injury history, obviously. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't even see him. Uh, if we do see him, I don't think he'll be himself. There's just no way. Um, so I think I'm going to go Boston and four with that bigger sweep. Him. Wait, a sweep? Without Joel, yeah. I just don't think I, – I hesitate for four and five. I just think they have enough good matchups for the Sixers, two good guards and good Tobias matchups. I don't see how the Sixers are going to create enough advantages as consistently as possible. If I were them, I would go full out, play hard and ball, and just play the exact way they had in Houston, just try to ball screen at the worst defenders and space the floor. But, I mean, their shooting's good. Like, offensively, that could work a little, that part, but Boston's got a very switchable team. They don't have a bad defender in the rotation. So, Sam Hauser is only even below average defender, and he's not awful by any means. And if he's getting cooked, they just won't play him because they have eight other guys that can play. So, I just don't see how they're going to score consistently without Joel drawing double teams with Joel's one-on-one play. Uh, Harden's obviously not the player he was in Houston while still great. Maxie's great. He doesn't really make others better. He's more of a great scorer. Um, and Boston's got a lot of length to throw at Maxie that I think would give him trouble. Um, and their starting lineup, I would probably go smart on uh, Harden. Then I think I'd go white on Maxie. So you got two all-league level defenders doing that. With I go brown on Harris. I'll let Tatum be a helper off PJ. I assume Paul Reed will start. And Horford, Williams, when they're in, be another guy to help off of. So that's a problem because you're not helping off Joel as much. There, I anticipate Philly going small ball with a lot of PJ at the five minutes. Um, That could be a problem, boxing out Rob Williams. But the good thing about the small ball is they will defend the three better, and defending the three is huge versus Boston as Boston lives and dies by the three. Paul Reed can slide, so he will be able to defend the three. But if they decide to give Montrose Harrell a shot, I mean, he can't defend anywhere. And so I wouldn't give him a shot if I were Philadelphia. I just think Boston's so much better. I think they're better with Embiid. Um, PJ and Tobias are okay matchups for Tatum and Brown. But Boston's got a lot of other guys that get in the lane. They'll make Harden and Maxi both not very good defenders defend. And this time they don't have Joel behind them to protect them. Paul Reed offers a little bit of rim protection, but it's not the same intimidating factor down there that Joel is. So I just think this is a complete mismatch without Joel. I got the Celtics in four. It sucks that Joel Embiid's hurt. It sucks. It really is. It's- because I said when we were doing predictions on like each round, like I had the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals because of Embiid and because I liked this team more in previous than in previous years because of their depth. And unfortunately, their depths took a huge, massive hit. Now, the Boston Celtics, I, I, 
obviously me being a Laker, LeBron guy, I'm not a Boston Celtics fan, but I got to give credit where credit is due. They did even after game five where they could have folded in a seesaw battle back and forth. They played very well down the stretch in game six and Jason Tatum proving that he is a superstar in this league. And he, in the game six closeout game against Atlanta, uh, he had 30 points on 11 of 12 shooting, which is about as efficient as you could be and 14 rebounds to go along with seven assists. And his co-star Jalen Brown had 32 in the closeout game. And this they're proving that they are one of the better one, two way duos, in my opinion, and Marcus Smart still was one of the better on-ball defenders. I could see him really giving Tyrese Maxey some issues. I'm a big Tyrese Maxey fan, but he didn't really see a physical of a defender in the first round as Brooklyn as he's going to see with Marcus Smart in this round. And their depth does take a hit. I do like their bench, though, with Melton. And, and they're going to see Paul Reed. But the Boston Celtics, when I look at their team, they have so much depth. Um, they have the better bigs out, outside because of Embiid is hurt. They still have Robin, Robert Williams, who's still time Lord, who's still going to give solid minutes off the bench. Al Horford uh, still is a reliable, steady veteran. He still can get you like 10 and 10, like on a nightly basis and still can knock down his open threes. And Derek White, he didn't have a great closeout game against Atlanta, but we all know what how capable he is. He can line it up in an instant. He's the third best guy on their team. He's yeah. Still- yeah. Yes, absolutely. And he's very capable of like just going off and just being in one of those zones. And Malcolm Brogdon, he wants the current sixth man of the year, who just recently won the sixth man of the year. He's going to be very reliable for them down the stretch. And this Boston team, with the injuries, with the Bucks gone, with the Sixers imploding with their injury, with Embiid, I think it's going to be a, a war. I, I think they have a great shot at going back to the NBA Finals. In fact, they're actually the odds-on favorite to win the whole thing when I looked up. Uh, they're the favorite to win the championship right now. When I looked at Caesar's Sportsbook before I came on the pod with you, this is they are the clear-on favorite right now in a very in the Eastern Conference that's pretty much them for the taking, depending on health and depending on who they see in the second round if the Knicks or he could cause them some problems. Um, but I, I'm going to say I'm going to be nice to the Sixers because I have much respect for Doc Rivers, and I think James Harden can win you one game without Joel Embiid. But I think it's going to be gentleman swept. And this is assuming Embiid's injury is hurt, is is knees completely fucked. I'm going to say Boston in five because I'm going to respect James Harden to get one game win. So I'm going to go Boston in five. Yeah, I was torn between four and five. Uh, I think it'll be one of those. Um, but if it beats healthy, obviously that changes everything. If it beats healthy, I still got Boston winning, but in six or seven. This is a big blow. And they're 10 and a half point favorites right now, Boston is for tomorrow night. I'm surprised it's not more. Yeah. So yeah. Right. now we're going to save the series that we're going to talk the most in depth about. It's going to take up a good majority of this pod, uh, you know, later on, but I want to talk about this other series that everyone's going to be talking about. It's the Suns versus the Nuggets and Denver. They just premiered the series Saturday night and Denver looked like a more what I don't want to like overreact to game one, 
um, because like it's it's so tough to like judge everything off one game in a series. But from what I saw from Denver, obviously, if you look at the teams like top to bottom, like obviously the Suns are very top heavy and they have the better starting five with Durant, Paul, Booker, Aiton. But the Nuggets, when I look at, at their team and the wing depth they've had and the defenders they've had and Jokic playing at a good didn't need to have didn't need to have a great game in order for them to win. And I see Jamal Murray going hot with six threes. And I see Caldwell Pope playing good defense and hitting threes. And I see Aaron Gordon just absolutely dominating the Suns. When I looked at that matchup on Saturday night, I said to myself, wow, the Suns could really be in trouble here. And I saw what Jokic did. He didn't have an efficient game, but still got 24-19. Aaron Gordon had 23. Caldwell Pope was a pl- had a, had 10. And I looked at their bench. Bruce Brown, who's not a scorer. Bruce Brown had 14. And he's like a really good on-ball defender. And I was saying to myself, Durant had 29-14. Booker was good. Chris Paul was eh. The Suns don't have a lot of depth outside of their top heavy starting lineup. And I don't want to play the what if game, but if Kawhi Leonard was healthy and didn't aggravate that knee in game one, I don't, I think they, I don't know if it was a guarantee they'd even make it to the second round. And I, do you think I'm a little overreacting to this game one win? And who do you have, who did you have this series before game one? And what are your thoughts on game one and who do you have winning this series? No, I don't think you're overreacting at all. Uh, I just think the world severely underestimated the Nuggets. I have no idea why the Nuggets got this reputation that they're a regular season team. That makes no sense. They haven't been healthy the last two years in the playoffs. Of course, they're not going to be good. If Jamal Murray didn't play, they wouldn't be good. Jamal Murray hasn't played the last two playoffs. Michael Porter uh, missed at least one of the two playoffs. I feel like he missed both. No, he just missed one of the two. He, he played in the 20 Michael Porter did not play in last, last year. year. Right. Yeah. And Jamal so, Murray didn't play in the playoffs. He didn't play. In the, he hasn't played in the playoffs since the bubble. And they made the conference finals then. And Jokic yes. wasn't good then. Against, against my Lakers. He, that was the last time he's played. And that's when he went off. He had some of the best playoff games I've ever seen in round one against Donovan Mitchell. Like that was phenomenal. And in the second round against the Clippers, like that was great too. So we have no evidence to say that the nugget system doesn't work in the playoffs. The last time they were healthy, they beat, they were, they beat a Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, both healthy Clippers team. Down three, one. Down three, one. And competed. Those series was four to one against the Lakers but it was competitive, and that Lakers team was elite, so better than any team in the West is now for sure. Um, so I don't think that's true at all. That the Nuggets aren't a playoff team. I had they've been the best team in the West all year. I would have seen no surprise of them beating Phoenix. Phoenix, I still think Phoenix is going to win the series in six, just like I predicted at the beginning. Yes, but I have my worries, and I had my worries at the beginning. I just think they have enough talent to overcome my worries. I worry that they're going to run into a math problem. So the order of most efficient shots in basketball goes a free throw, a layup, a three, a mid-range. Phoenix relies heavy on the mid-range. They have two, three of the best mid-range guys in the league. But 
that's still like not that efficient. Kevin Durant's the only one that has that shoots it at a high enough clip where it's an efficient half court possession if you're getting a Kevin Durant mid range. As good as Devin Booker is in the mid range, his mid range is below average efficiency for half court offense. It's it's just not a good shot that you want to rely on. Um, you need it as a weapon, so because it opens up other things, but it's not what you want to rely on. They don't have a lot of good catch and shoot guys, other than Durant and Booker, who aren't elite catch and shoot guys, despite their reputation as being them. Their percentages are just okay. Uh, Durant's a little better than Booker's, and they don't get easy shots because people aren't helping off them that much, which is part of the reason their percentages aren't elite. Chris Paul has a slow release, doesn't shoot catch and shoots with confidence. Aiden doesn't have three point range. All their guys are average shooters off the bench. They all have to be guarded, I guess, but nobody's elite. They don't have one guy on the team good at getting to the rim, so they don't draw a lot of fouls either. So they're missing out on the two most important shots. And the Nuggets offense is a load. Just anything around Jokic, Jokic is a problem because he needs double teams no matter who's guarding him or he's going to score. And if you don't double team him, he, or if you when you do double team him, he's a beyond elite passer, the top five passer in the history of the game, and he has decent threats around him, and he makes everyone better. So, the more I'm talking about it, I don't even know why I'm picking the Suns. Like, kind of changing my mind as I'm talking about do it. Do it. I am doing it. I'm going Nuggets in seven. I'm, I'm starting to believe in the Nuggets. Like, I just I, I did the math for me. Like a lot of people want to say, oh well, basketball is not a math game, really. I've never seen a team win that scored less points than the other team. So, <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's funny, but it's true. Like, no, it, yeah, it is true. I don't understand how it's not a math game. Like the, the literal objective of the game is to score more points than the other team. Basketball is completely math. Agreed. Am I talking to Jordan Newman or Kirk Goldsberry? Cause like I follow all this stuff. <laughs> um, I agree with you. To I couldn't have agreed more. And one of the things that makes Denver so elite is that the is that DeAndre Ayton is a, is not is low key not great in the pick and roll defense. And he and they really take good advantage of that. And and what I saw, I, I know I'm I don't mean to sound like a nitpick here, but when I saw there was a play where Jokic was getting, I'm sure you saw it on Twitter, where Jokic was getting so many rebounds, one possession. DeAndre Ayton didn't even, wasn't even man enough to put a body on him. Like, that was just so, just, that was just weird. And when I, again, the Suns are, if you want to talk about just talent in a vacuum, like starting five-wise, the Suns are more talented. I And I will – I'm actually going to defend the Suns on this end here, and Kevin Durant acknowledged it after their loss. Kevin Durant, you look at 29 and 14, but if you look at the other th- – at the right side of the box score, he had seven turnovers. And I don't think Kevin Durant's going to have seven turnovers. And he only had one assist. Now, Kevin Durant's obviously no, not known for being a huge passer, even though he is capable to get 10 assists. He's not going to have one assist again. I don't think he's going to have that terrible of a ratio again and be a minus 20 for the game. And he even he said, I could have played better, which I respect. Devin Booker, he's a pretty good defender when he's like when he's one-on-one, but he's not a great defender. He has to commit fully on defense on Jamal Murray, and he has the length to do it. 
And if they want to like get past the Denver, they're going to have to make some adjustments, especially down low with the pick and roll game. And especially with defending like their on ball guys like Murray. And you're going to talk about Jamal Murray, how deep they are. And I'm not discrediting that, but do I, do, do you think that Jamal Murray is going to go six of 10 from three again, as great as he is? I don't really see that happening again. And Aaron Gordon, I have a lot of respect for. He had a very good year. Maybe could have been an all-star, could have made a case for it. Uh, but I don't think he's going to get 23 again, which is seven more than a season average of 16. And I don't think Bruce Brown's going to get me 14 again. So I think maybe this could be a wake-up call for the Suns. And I don't think that the Denver's going to out-rebound them by 17 again. I agree with your points there. You make some very valid points on Denver. I think they're a more far, more deeper team. But I think star power eventually is going to outweigh, like, in that regard. Um, But I will say this. I'm going to stick with the Suns here, even though there are some concerns. Um, I'm going to say the Suns still – I'm going to say the Suns still in six. But I will say this, though. DeAndre Aiden has to play a lot better. He at 14 and seven is not good enough. He's so talented, but he, but the same thing I criticized AD for, he doesn't put his mind to it constantly on a nightly basis. DeAndre Ayton is, and he's not really that great of a defender, especially in the pick and roll. And if he's going, they're going to get past Denver. He has to play as well as Joker. I'm not saying he has to be better than Joker, but he has to play manly enough down low and give me more than seven rebounds, which is kind of embarrassing. He didn't even block a shot, DeAndre Ayton did. He was a minus 21 for the game. And he only he need they need to feed the big guy down low. And Jokic, I'm a big Jokic fan. I'm in the minor in the minority these days of saying he's the best, he's better than Embiid and the best center in basketball. But Jokic is not a great defender, especially in the pick and roll. And one of the reasons why I picked the Suns from a, a matchup standpoint, the pick and roll game between Paul and Ayton that can go can get after Nikola Jokic or Paul and KD that can get after it after Jokic and. I'm still going to hang in with the Suns, but would I be shocked if Denver won the series? No, I would not. Yeah, I'm the exact opposite. I'm going to pick the Nuggets. Would not be shocked if the Suns won at all. For those reasons, the the pick and roll is the original reason that I picked uh, the Nuggets or the Suns to beat the Nuggets. They did it some last night, but just the math of the shots that they're getting out there just doesn't add up to wins. They're... uh, they're getting mid-range jumpers. Some go in, some don't. But it's the threes that are going to kill you. So we're just going to see what coverages Denver mix in, mixes in. Uh, Denver's going to shoot a little worse, too. They shot 43% in three yesterday. That's going to go down for the series. Right. That, right. Um, and Phoenix was only 30%, too. So they're going to go up. But I just don't know if they're going to – like Phoenix took 23 threes. Denver took 37 threes. I expect those numbers to go down for Denver. I don't think they're going to shoot 37 again game two. It might adjust coverages, but it's going to be hard because then Jokic is going to eat if you're helping less. So it's that's I kind of think like any team with Jokic, I mean, to me, other than – So it's a catch-22 regardless. Yeah. I think he's the second biggest game plan problem guy 
I think he's one of the five biggest game plan problem guys ever for your defensive game plan, just because he's an impossible matchup because you can't double him and you can't play him one-on-one. You're just screwed either way. He's that good. He's unbelievable offensively. Definitely arguably the best player in the game. I would go as far or arguably. Yeah, he is arguably the best player. Definitely arguably the best offensive player. And I would go as far to say he's arguably the best offensive player ever. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I agree with you on that end. I, I just think from my perspective, I think that, that Jokic is very dominant down low, especially against Aiton. He's not a great defender, though. And the difference between him and Embiid is Embiid at least can get physical on defense, and he's muscular in strength. Jokic is more finesse. And he's more, and he makes up for his defensive inefficiencies because he's an offensive player, and he's probably the and he's the most skilled big man in the game. And that's my, I'm a big Jokic fan, but he struggles mightily in defense, and he and for his size, he play comes up very very small. He he didn't have a great vertical, and there's he a reason no why vertical. he was picked last in the All Star game. He is he is no vertical. Um. He doesn't have good rim protection instincts. Rim protection is not what I'm worried about for Phoenix because they're not very good going to the rim. So I'm not worried about his lack of rim protection. I'm worried about his lack of mobility on the perimeter defending the pick and roll. And if Phoenix wins, I think that would be their reasoning. I agree with you on that end. That's 100%. Hey, Jordan, you want to hear a fun fact? Uh, Sure. Caffeine involved in a coffee bean with some of the greatest antioxidants on the planet. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Let, let, let me cut you off right there. I wasn't done. You see, green tea, another great source of caffeine, evolved with an entirely different set of antioxidants as well. Is this another brain fuel ad? Uh, yeah, it is. Oh, I mean, well, in that case, brain fuel takes the best of both worlds without the roast or heat that may reduce potency and increase toxicity. It support, it's supportive blends of fuels, antioxidants, and brain-boosting additives create a new paradigm for the effective delivery of caffeine. Not to mention, it is the best-tasting drink I've personally had in a while. To support the heroes who push society forward, challenge the status quo, and initiate a better tomorrow, by providing them with the fuel to actualize their best self. If you want to help support our podcast and try BrainFuel, use code DOME for 20% off your order at BrainFuel.com. That's code DOME, all caps, D-O-M-E, at BrainFuel.com, B-R-E-I-N-F-U-E-L.com for 20% off your order. Yeah, so I, I'm going to say the Suns still hang on to this series, despite my, um, uh, despite my worries about their top, ha- about their the rest of their their uh, depth. So I'm going to hang in with Suns in six. Yeah, I'm going Denver in seven. I don't feel great about it though. We'll see what happens. Um, so we're kind of safe building this up. This is a series that I think everybody in the world is going to be talking about. Every sports, not just NBA fan, but every sports fan is going to want to see two of the best generational players between LeBron versus Steph. And this is part five. Maybe we can technically, we can maybe count the six 
if you can account the playing game from two years ago, which was just an epic classic. But this is like another chapter in the LeBron Steph rivalry. And this is a six for a seven seed. It doesn't feel like a six and seven seed. Remember, the Lakers are the seventh seed because that was pre trade deadline. They were pretty terrible and they were the 13th seed in the Western Conference. Now, post trade deadline, you look at their pieces now, how they fit, how they've meshed very well, and they were full on display in the first round against Memphis. And you saw my guy, Austin Reeves, who I freaking rave about, come to life. You saw Rui Hachimura and play a very good series. And they did shorten up the rotation, which I which I commanded Darvin Ham to do and not play LeBron and Rui like a, a small ball lineup when Anthony Davis goes out of the game. And then Anthony Davis, who me being a Laker fan, I've been very critical of Anthony Davis for not always being engaged on a nightly basis, but defensively he was awesome the entire series, especially in game six. If you, I'm sure you watched that game just like I did how he engaged. He was and how he went chasing for the ball and how the whole crowd kept chanting his name. That's the Anthony Davis. I want to see when he's right, like mentally and physically right. He could be as dominant as anyone in the league. The problem is he doesn't commit psychologically. And then the Lakers had a wrapped up in a mostly very good series against Memphis and they dominated home. They played excellent defense, and they sent uh, the Grizzlies to Cancun. I hope they're enjoying their stay in Cancun. And the Golden State Warriors just had a very tough series against a well-rounded Sacramento Kings team, who I think is going to be great for the future, even though I do think they need some more wing depth on defense, and they need another big. And that was the key why they lost game seven. Kevon Looney kept getting rebound after rebound after rebound, and he out-rebounded DeMontis Sabonis by 29. 29! The entire series. And Steph Curry, my God, what, what, what can we say, else can we say about that performance? 50 points? That might be the greatest closeout game I think I've ever seen. It's the highest scoring closeout game ever. Probably, yeah. probably the best offensive display of a closeout game we've I think we've ever seen. Yeah, Steph's, Steph's ridiculous. I mean, he's still arguably the best player in the game with a few other guys. Um, this series is going to be a fun one, though. Um, oh, my God. This is like – this is a series that, like, I'm – as a Laker fan, I'm nervous for. But as, like, an NBA fan, I'm just excited to see, too, at the same time. Yeah, even though it's a six or seven seed, it's two championship contenders. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And people want to say, oh, you're a seven seed. But – Look what they did. And Steph even acknowledged like briefly after the game that this is not a this is not the same Laker team. This is a much deeper team. And I will and that's well rounded. And I think we looked really good against Memphis and Golden State showed why they were champions today against the Sacramento Kings. It shows that experience outweighs the youth. And when it comes to postseason. And I think it's going to be a war, a seven-game series. Now, break it down. Like, what are you looking for in this series? And who do you have? I know you're – I see your Twitter. You're probably as big of a LeBron fan as I am. But be objective here. 
big of a Steph fan as I am a LeBron fan. I try to be unbiased in my opinions, no matter how fan I am or someone. Who I want to win is not always who I really think and believe is going to win. I don't care who wins the series because of how much I respect LeBron and Steph and Draymond and Clay and uh, AD and AD. Yeah, so I do not care who wins the series. That's kind of how I am with most series. The only team that, like, I actually care if they win ever are the Knicks and the Bolts. Like, everyone else, I really don't give a shit who wins, so it's hard to be biased when you don't really care who wins. Um, but uh, I just got to look at matchups first. First, right. how the Warriors are going to defend. So it'll be interesting in the starting lineup. I know what I would do if I were them. I would put Draymond on LeBron. Oh, his uh, his business partner, his uninterrupted business partner, Clutch yeah. Bryant. <laughs> yeah, I would go Looney on AD. Looney's a solid defender. I think he can keep AD. I don't think he's going to shut him down, but I think he's going to keep him at his averages. Uh, Draymond's one of the better LeBron defenders of all time. Um, and also the bet, and also poked his eye and got under skin and multiple times and then hit LeBron in the, you know what area and called him a bitch in the 2016 finals, which cost him an ejection. And so they, on the court, they hate each other off the court. They're like best friends and business partners, which is just a very odd relationship between the two of them. Yeah. Um, Wiggins will get his cracks at LeBron for sure. Gary Payton will get cracks at him. And Draymond will get his cracks at AD. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the Lakers attack. If I'm the Warriors, I'm making, like, a lot of people think, like, Austin Reeves is just, like, overhyped. People just love him. Like, that's people that don't watch Austin Reeves play. Austin no, Reeves. No, he's, he's my boy. I have a jersey of him. He's so good. He like, is. You're not being a biased Lakers fan. He's so good. I try uh, to tell people. No, he's. Anybody that disagrees with and say, do you watch the games or are you just watching a few highlights because he's not crazy athletic? You know, it reminds me, they have different styles in a way. It reminds me of Jalen Bronson um, in the thing that they don't wow you with their athleticism, weren't drafted high and Reese case wasn't drafted high at all, but they're just productive. They're right. just know how to play and they make shots, and they have extremely high IQ, have great footwork. Reeves is a guy that I think is going to get a ton of money after this year, and everyone's going to say it's an overpay, and just like Bronson, he's going to prove that's fucking bullshit, and he deserves every bit of the money as long as it's below, like, 40 mil a year. Like, I'm not kidding. I would pay Austin Reeves 30 mil a year. Like, he's that good. Um, He's only going to get better. Uh. So I would put Wiggins on him if I'm the Warriors and make it a priority to slow down Reeves. Clay gets some cracks in him. I'll put Gary Payton and Dante on him too. Okay. Only good defenders on Reeves. Uh, because he's the second best shot creator on the Lakers. Right. I mean, D'Angelo Russell can create his shot. Yeah, uh, I don't know if he's a better shot creator than D'Lo, actually, but he's in his league. Right. And D'Angelo, but 
the thing about D'Angelo Russell that scares me personally, he, first of all, he saved our ass against Memphis. If you watched game four, when they were down seven in the fourth quarter, he hit like three straight threes and they would have not won that game, that crucial game four without D'Angelo Russell's shot, creating shot making and game six, you watched that game, how unconscious he was. He was yeah. like staff in game six. He was- Gets in zones. Like he, when he's like, he's a streaky shooter and but he's a liability on defense, which they I don't know if we can trust him in the fourth quarter when Steph's gonna play him. I don't think D'Angelo Russell's gonna ma- barely match up with Steph, maybe for a game yeah. or two. He I don't think he, he shouldn't. I put Schroeder on Steph and I put Reeves on Steph, which are guys that can match Steph's quickness. I'm not saying they'll be quicker than Steph or make things hard on Steph because Steph's going to get his 25, 30 a game, but they could at least make things a little difficult and be a little physical and quick with Steph. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Lakers first, how they would – I could see them attacking offensively. So historically, whenever LeBron's played at Curry, he really played against Curry, he really likes that matchup. A lot of the LeBron scheme since his championship years in Miami. It's been ball screen at the matchup he wants. And in a starting group, that is going to be Curry. Because Curry's a good defender, by the way. People say he's not. He is a good defender. Mm. He's up a lot of size. You know, he is. He's a good defender. Mm. But he's given up a lot of size to LeBron. So it's a, the, Curry's a good defender if the guy's not too big. He just doesn't have positional versatility. Okay, that's fair. That's but fair. like he like he technique wise and like staying in front like he's good he's not a guy that gets blown by, but like he's just not versatile. He can't guard a lot of positions. He can only guard guards mm-hmm. um, because of his lack of size and weight. Uh, so LeBron obviously provides that problem where so if it's a quick guard they're going to attack Looney more. LeBron at this age his quickness isn't as much, so Looney's not the mismatch because he's got size. And I, that's what LeBron struggles with most of this time of his career. It's size. He doesn't really struggle with anyone. He's phenomenal, but if there's something that makes it harder on him, it's size. So he's going to hunt Curry in ball screens. When Jordan Poole is in, they are going to ruthlessly go at him. <laughs> Unlike Steph, Jordan Poole doesn't compete. Like, Steph competes his ass off defensively. I give him that. He has physical limitations that makes him an elite. He's not a league average to slightly above average defender. Jordan Poole is a bad defender. He's a terrible defender. And there's a, and I don't know if you saw this, but Malik Monk, I don't know if he caught the camera, but Malik Monk said to Jordan Poole, guard me. Don't be scared to guard me. Yeah. I like, can't and, and Jordan Poole, I reads. saw before game seven today, De'Aaron Fox is getting his shots up. The best defense Jordan Poole played was during warmups where he tried to fake guard De'Aaron Fox to try to get in his head. No size and no effort. Is not a good combination defensively. He's yeah, he like Steph has no size, but he's got effort, so which makes him average. And Steph's way physically stronger than Jordan Poole, too. Like when you watch Steph get hit either not by guys like LeBron, but when you get hit by guards, like he can hold his ground. Um, but yeah, LeBron's gonna attack those guys. That that's gonna be with their offense. That's what gonna they're gonna create their offense. It's gonna be LeBron's gonna be the generator, he's gonna get switches now. What would be interesting, actually, this is how I think the Lakers, because Vanderbilt's going to start. I think back, I think they're going to start Wiggins on LeBron and Draymond on Vanderbilt. Interesting. Which will be a problem for the Lakers. So I don't think Vanderbilt can play heavy minutes unless 
He's playing like last game and he makes three threes. Then he can. He he needs to make shots. He needs to take shots when he's wide open and he needs to make them. The late the Warriors are definitely gonna dare him to shoot, and he has to make them, or he'll get played off the court. And and it's kind of like how the Grizzlies did in game six, except Vanderbilt, he hit him give eight threes. He was he was on fire from three. So Vanderbilt does that, it's not gonna be a problem, and then they should play him a lot if he's making them. Uh so we'll see if Vanderbilt's hitting shots or not. That that's gonna be important because then Draymond can't just sag in LeBron and A B. And that's what Draymond will do. That's what he's great at. He's one of the best help defenders in NBA history. One of the smartest defenders in NBA history. Very high um, IQ. Yeah, so that could hurt the way that I picture the Lakers attacking. They're not a great ball movement team. They more like to get matchups they like and attack, which is a good strategy. It works. But when you have guys on the floor, the, the other team's not scared of shooting threes. It doesn't work. But no problem if Rui's playing the way he's playing. Take Vanderbilt, put Rui in. And they're not I – it's not like they're terrified of Rui, but he has to be guarded. He has to be accounted for. They're not just going to say, hey, Rui, shoot all the time. You saw what he did in game one. and You saw yeah. what he did the first three games against Memphis. It was no joke. I mean, like, he, he's, he is very, very skilled. Like, Phil Handy, the assistant coach of the Lakers, who I'm sure you know, very well. I'm sure you've met him before, and I'm sure you've like studied what he does, like coaching wise. Yeah. Phil Handy said in an interview that Rui has a similar skill set to Kawhi Leonard, in as far as like their mid range game. Obviously, Rui's not the defender that Kawhi Leonard was like before, like he started having serious knee injuries. But Rui, I would liken to Kawhi as far as like a good spot up shooter and getting to his mid range spot, and it's very skilled in the same ballpark as Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, he's not as good of a player as Kawhi Leonard. I'm right. not saying that. I'm just saying Rui's skill set mirrors Kawhi Leonard. For stylistic comparisons. That's, right. that's he has a different role, so he doesn't get to, like, handle the ball as much as Kawhi. But may, on a different team, obviously LeBron's going to handle most of those responsibilities, so he doesn't need to on this team. But Rui's going to be big in the series. No, he, uh, he's going to have to play huge for us, for sure. He needs to step up, and he, uh, he's capable of it. So we'll, we'll see if he does. We'll see if he steps up to the moment. He, he has the physical abilities, too, and just can't shit his pants his first time being in a huge moment. We'll see how he can respond mentally to that. Austin Reeves, I tell you for a fact, is not scared of the moment. Oh, he, he's, up, if he does play bad, it is not because he's scared. He might, I'm not saying he's 100% going to play good. Everyone plays bad sometimes, but – it's not going to be because he's scared. D'Lo's not going to be scared either. Um, D'Lo, I would assume that Curry starts on D'Lo. You got to make Curry work defensively. Right. Another weakness, Curry doesn't have long arms, and D'Lo's a shot maker. Steph's short. I mean, he's listed as, like, what, 6'3"? He, 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 I think he's shorter than 6'3". He's Probably pretty is. And his wingspan's not long. I think it's 6'3 no. like or 6'4". So they could have... D'Lo, Reeves, whoever he guards, they could attack him. Clay Thompson from the is fully recovered offensively, but he is not the same defender that no. he was pre-injury. So now I think Thompson's going to have a start on Reeves. They should look to attack that matchup too. Not necessarily with isolations, but getting uh, Reeves off ball screens. I mean, AD's best as a role man, more than post-up. AD's an overrated post-up player. There's plenty of numbers to show that. His post-up efficiency is good, but it's not like one of the elite post guys in the league. Never has been. Right. Um, but he's an elite pick and roll finisher. 
you know, oh, yeah. lob radius. Like that's how he scores really efficiently. So they got to get AD in ball screens too when they're not trying to isolate. But I picture a big part of the game plan being LeBron uh, ball screening at the smaller guys, which will cause Jordan Poole to play less, which is going to hurt the Warriors' offense. Curry, obviously, even if he's getting hunted, you're not going to take Steph out because no, no, he's because he's, he's the greatest shooter God ever created. I mean, you can't yeah. not play him. So it would be worth if he was getting killed by LeBron on defense to keep him in there. A series I could think of where Harden, where Steph kind of got murdered, was the 28 Western Conference Finals versus Houston when Harden and Chris Paul just ball screened at him ruthlessly, and they were cooking him, but he's cooking back on the other end. So. It's very worth it to keep him in. Jordan Poole, it's not going to provide near the same offensive production that Steph provides. So by the end of the series, I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan Poole is playing 10 minutes a game. They got guys like Dante <laughs> that they can play more. Um, and Moses Moody uh, had some moments in this first series. So they got the depth. I like his game. He's a solid player. Yeah. They got the depth to handle it. Um, I just worry about some of their chemistry issues too. Poole seems to be talking a lot of shit on the bench. <laughs> I just don't think things were the same since Poole and Draymond's beef. Um, I, I mean, I'm not as high in Poole as most. I think they made a big mistake giving him the bag. He's not a $140 million guy. Jalen Brunson's 104 and Jordan Poole's 140. It's fucking bullshit. Uh, but... I see him getting hunted and that's going to cause the Warriors to play two guys that aren't as good shooters, which is going to make the Lakers defensive job easier. Cause so I see, I see the Lakers doing it. What I'm doing, if I'm the Lakers in my starting lineup, I'm going LeBron on Looney, right? Not a, I'm going AD on Draymond. That's, that's, that's what I think they should do. Um, because like, LeBron could like get down low and like he he could guard LeBron. If you want to say like he's not as good defender now, like it, but now you saw what he did in Memphis when he's locked and engaged, he could do other things that needs to help the team win. Like you saw what he did like against Jaron Jackson and Xavier Tillman. He made life really ruthless for those two down low. And you saw what he did at the end of game four, like in the regulation, like he was fucking putting his body on the line when John Morant was going at him, like playoff Braun. If you want to say, Oh, he's all about scoring and taking over. No playoff Braun is about doing whatever it takes to help the team win in any circumstances possible, whether it's taking charges, making the right pass, making the right play and making the right shots. And he did that in the Memphis series. It's not always about how he could go off for 30 plus each game. I don't know if he could do that on a nightly basis anymore, given his age, but LeBron can still play good defense down low. And I think I agree with you on the matchup with him on Looney. Also. So because his boxing out ability, not that I mean, AD would be fine on Looney too, obviously, but I think the Draymond matchup is important because of Looney's offensive rebounding ability. You don't help off him as much as you help off Draymond and AD's obviously a better rim protector than LeBron uh, and a more active defensive player at this stage of LeBron's career. So I like AD and Draymond and just have him be the fuck up guy. Just fuck it. <laughs> Everything up. Right. Um, and the starting lineup, I don't know how much Vanderbilt will play because the offense, I'm starting Vanderbilt on Curry. 
That I I think that's good. He could stay. He could front him. Yeah. Then whatever they do, there's going to be one matchup I don't love, and that's whoever D'Lo guards. Oh yeah, he he cannot play. He defense for a lick of his life. He's a defensive liability. And especially this matchup because versus Clay, he won't be able to get through screens with how much Clay runs. Wiggins can take him in the post some. But if you're going to beat us with Andrew Wiggins post ups. I'm going to live with that more than Clay Thompson and Steph Curry three-pointers. So I would start him on Wiggins, and I'm good. With uh, with being doubled down, he catches, dig. Uh, I would rather lose to Andrew Wiggins post-ups than Clay and Steph because the Warriors' offense is re- revolved around getting Clay, Steph, and pull open with off-ball screens. And then when they really need to, they go to the on-ball screens from Steph. So if I'm the Lakers – you can't throw star players the same game plan over and over, or they'll figure it out. What do you mean so, by that? Explain. Same coverages. Okay. So you got you need multiple coverages in their shoot rounds. They got to go over multiple coverages for stuff. In terms, I'm of sure ball. they will. They we follow the I'm same sure. Twitter account. Like they're they're definitely going to go over that for sure. Yes, I'm sure they will. Uh. You have to have multiple ball screen coverages and multiple off ball screen coverages. Will be intriguing to me. What I think is the best way to beat Golden State. Golden State. Steve Kerr is a big ball movement coach. Steve Kerr is not a fan of ISO ball or matchup. I think it's just not how he wants to play. It's not how he likes teaching. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong because I don't even know whether it's right or wrong. In general, I tend to think ball movement is better. I tend to agree with him, but there is a time to matchup hunt too, which Steve Kerr is not huge on. So I like a lot of switching, on ball and off ball. The Lakers don't have one immobile guy in the rotation. So they don't have anybody that's just going to let up low buys, like at will. So I like switching a lot for the Lakers in the series and trying to force the Warriors to play iso ball, which is not their game. That's a, what I think would be very intriguing uh, obviously, Steph's going to cook in some of the switches. You have to accept that he's going to cook. Steph's going to cook no matter what you do. He's oh no, he, he's going to he's going to go for at least twenty eight plus on a nightly basis. I'm not saying he's, I, I'm not saying he's going to go for not going to go for that. He's going to get his. I mean, it's inevitable. He's Steph Curry. I mean, it's yeah. Your job is to make sure he doesn't get forty. You're, you're not going to shut him down. He's way too good. It, it's to make sure he doesn't get forty. Uh, so. Like Schroeder and Reeves, both solid getting through screens. Vanderbilt's phenomenal in every aspect of defense, uh, which is why he still needs to play some, even if he's killing you offensively. Uh, so those are the three matchups that I like for Steph. But with ball screens at AD, I am switching that every time. And I'm letting Steph put AD in a dance and – like, it's very hard to score over his length. Steph will because he's amazing, but they're not going to be easy shots. It's going to be contested step-back threes over a guy with a 7-4 or whatever AD's wingspan is. Even if you get by him, you know he's lurking behind you. He's not going to, like, with his 7-4 wingspan. He has crazy ground coverage, one of the best ground coverage in NBA history. So I would switch a ton of AD ball streaks, but not every time because you get Steph too used to a coverage, especially over multiple games, he will fuck you up. He like and same thing with the Warriors and LeBron. They can't give LeBron the same ball screen. Like you can give Austin Reeves the same ball screen coverage because he's a really good player more than a superstar. 
LeBron's superstar, you need multiple coverages. You got to hedge some. You got to switch some. Get a, LeBron's not going to screen the bigs that much, so drop's not going to work a lot. But you need multiple coverages. You got to blitz some of them. Um, it'll be the, the Warriors should. It's dangerous, like to blitz stuff too much because you hit Draymond on the short roll. But on some of Looney's ball screens, I'm going to blitz them and force Looney to make a decision four and three, which he's capable of. Yeah, but I want to get the ball out of Steph's hands. I have a two two uh two questions. The first being like uh about Darvin Ham, and I'm sure you follow Twitter. Like whenever they lose, they say Dar fire Darvin Ham, and they call him Darvin Scam, which I which my editor who writes my who edits my sports articles for a website I write for uh, who covers the Lakers. Me and him text every every Laker game. He calls him Darvin Scam. What are you doing? That's what really is concerning for me is Darvin Ham. This is his first year being a full head coach. And I like how he shortened the rotation game six against Memphis. Do you expect him to go with that same rotation throughout the series? And what adjustments do you think he has to make this round that he got away with from the last round? That's a good question. Uh, it's hard to say because it's just two different teams. I, I would say the minutes would be an adjustment, but in terms of game plan, it's hard to say because it's just very different teams. Right. Uh, that they run Memphis has more of an on ball attacking team. They like to space the floor for John Morant and set him out of ball screens. Bain will come off some movement stuff that are similar in the Warriors actions, but Jaron Jackson will get some isolations too. They have multiple rollers. Um, they, but a lot of their game plan is just kind of space the floor, ball screen sets that are getting into ball screens. The Warriors are more an off-ball heavy team, a cutting a team that has a lot of good cutters and good passers to find the cutters. Um, you know, a lot of good decision makers on the roster that can be trusted with the ball in their hands. So it's just different challenges. So it's hard to say exactly what needs to be changed. I don't know if he talked to Vanderbilt before the game six and gave him some confidence about the shooting, but it worked. It worked. Whatever that Vanderbilt was shooting with, he took eight threes. I know he was wide open. He's wide open in every game. And, so, and he made three of them for him. That's amazing. Made three of them. So if he's going three for eight, you can play him 30 minutes. But. And- because of his defensive value. So, I don't know. We'll have to see what he's doing. It's just really hard to say, like, what defensive adjustments and what offensive adjustments, because it's just the scheme's going to be totally different because it's different teams they're going against. Um, I mean, ball screening at the small guys has historically worked really well from LeBron, and the Warriors got two small guys. And one of them is going to play 40 minutes a night almost. So, really think they that should be one of their main ways of creating advantages. And then other than when LeBron isn't the one coming off the ball screen, when it's Reeves, D'Lo, or Schroeder, it's need to be AD setting it. Uh, speaking of AD, that just leads me to my next question in regards to Anthony Davis. Some nights he could be, in my opinion, all day or quote-unquote always dominant, even though he's not – always dominant and some days he could some games he could be 
always disappointing. I feel like every other game, with the exception of games five and six against Memphis, I felt like every other game he'd be on one game and then cold the other game, like game two and game four until like regulation where he did in overtime where he didn't make some key plays. I feel like this series, especially against Draymond and Looney down low, Anthony Davis cannot play great every other game. He has to be mentally and physically locked in every single game if they want to get past Golden State. And the thing with him is, with the difference between Kevon Looney and Jaron Jackson Jr. is, Jaron Jackson Jr. is a more offensively skilled player than Kevon Looney. He's obviously better than Kevon Looney. No one's going to question that. He's the defensive defensive player of the year. Kevon Looney, though, is a better rebounder than Jaron Jackson Jr. And that matchup down low between Kevon Looney and Anthony Davis is the matchup I'm one that's I'm the most looking forward to seeing is down low how Anthony Davis can dominate because the, the Lakers won't be able to go. If they want to make a big run at this thing to win a championship, Anthony Davis has to be the best player. It's really obvious. He has to. And or if he's tied with LeBron for the best player. Right, right, right. At least 1A, 1B. But he cannot do like whatever it was last time where he just played great every other game. He has to be freaking physical down low and defensively though he was great last series against Memphis it's good every single game against Memphis offensively I'm talking about he need he needs to be more locked in engaged and whoever is gonna win this series is gonna it's tough to say who wants it more because they both want to win I'm not gonna make a stupid claim like that but it's gonna be who wins the the rebounding battle down low right Mm -hmm. between AD and Kevon Looney. It's there's a cliche saying, no boards, no rings. Whoever wins the rebounding battle is gonna win this series. So he needs to be very much locked in, engaged on the rebounding and with the scoring and playing defense. If we get that AD that you saw in game six, we could get past him, and the sky's the limit. For sure. And as far as AD's rebounding, what I'm looking for. More specifically, his offensive rebounding. Yes. Defensively, it depends who he's guarding. If he's guarding Draymond, I want a lot of defensive rebounds too. He can, he can D the the he can D up Draymond easily. Yeah. You know, if he's on Looney, I don't necessarily care how many rebounds he grabs. It as long as he's making sure Looney doesn't grab it. If he's boxing out Looney, but someone else on the Lakers gets the rebound, I I don't care. Like if AD gives it goes a game where he has four defensive rebounds because he just focuses on making sure Looney doesn't get any offensive rebounds. I don't necessarily care if he grabs them. I just care that he's making sure Looney is not getting the offensive rebound. And whoever's guarding Looney, that's their job. Don't does not matter how many rebounds you get. It matters that you prevent Looney from getting his rebounds and let one of the other four guys grab it. Your job is to box out. In Wiggins, you got to box out too. Those two specific guys and. Let someone else grab it. Who's ever guarding Steph, Clay, or Draymond? They'll grab the rebound. You box out. Uh, two fi- final questions I have for you. The first one is um, this LeBron Steph comparison, right? The, that everyone wants to make a name of. Obviously, both of us, from when we talk, I'm personally on the side, and for we talked about on the pod, and because both of us follow each other on Twitter, I think we both clear and obvious who we think the best player 
ever is in our opinion, even though I get constant shit for it constantly, but people want to make this argument that Steph has maybe if he wins a ring or beats LeBron this series, he eclipses LeBron. I personally think that's a ridiculous statement, but who am I to judge? It's every, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but do you think that if he wins this series, like, do you think he eclipses LeBron? Because I don't. I think people are just trying to make clickbait arguments. Like, what are your thoughts on this whole relationship? Not at all. I'm a not a ring culture guy at all. I don't judge anything by rings. Uh, rings is a team award. Yeah. It's like, oh, Michael 6-0 in the finals. Uh, well, ever heard LeBron is in the finals once, and Kyrie, Evan, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love got hurt, so he lost. If Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman got hurt in the finals, Michael Jordan would have lost. There is a ton of luck that goes into winning a championship that is completely out of the best player's control. Like, there's so, like, no, I don't, winning does not get me to change your ranking of a player, especially to LeBron's 38 and past this time. <laughs> Steph's not as good as he once was. Like I remember when LeBron lost in the first round two years, everyone's like, oh, does this like put him down in the rankings all the time? That's like, stupid. Everyone oh, tried to shit on him for that. And he was not even 100% that series. Yeah. It's ridiculous. The arguments people make. Um, make it about basketball. Like, if, who's, if you actually think Steph's better basketball player than LeBron and you give me reasons, I'll listen. I disagree. But if you give me reasons why Steph is better on the court in LeBron, not right now, because he is better right now. I agree. But in, in their better career-wise and their prime, I'm going to have a hard time. I, you're going to have a really hard time coming up with reasons because of the defense. Offensively, I think it's very similar. I have a core four for my four best offensive players ever when they're both in it with Michael Jordan and Jokic. Um, and so if you want to argue me that Steph's better than LeBron offensively, I'm actually probably going to agree with you. I think he is. Uh, but I just think the two-way value in LeBron's prime, losing a series of 38 to Steph does not take away from that. LeBron on Miami, which to me was his best time. Agreed. Two-way ability, was one of the best defenders in the NBA. He, he was made All-NBA first team, and yet Marcus Gasol made All-NBA second, defensive second team, and yet Gasol won that award. But yeah. He so, should have been defensive player of the year that year. 2013 Braun was that was the best version of LeBron I've ever 2013 seen. 2013 Braun is arguably the best player ever with like 91 Jordan, 89 Jordan, like the, the, that era. Uh, I'm higher on Steph than most, though, but it's not going to. I mean, I, I think Steph's the third best player ever. I, I put him number three, right? But I think Jordan and LeBron are level above. Uh, I mean, there's two ways to compare who's had a better peak or better career. Um, better career. LeBron's had the best career ever. I don't think you question that. Like, no. The only yeah. argument anybody has to me that Jordan's had a better career than LeBron is six to four. Like, <laughs> fucking bullshit. But that's a team award. A championship is a team award. Like, I'll watch the film with anybody. Look how many big plays other guys on Jordan's team made. Like, it's like people it's just it's a it's a media narrative, so people follow it. And like the thing, like LeBron's not clutch. They started tracking data in 1996, 1997. LeBron's the all-time leading scorer in clutch. I know. He's, you could LeBron is the all-time playoff leader in in game winners, in 
shots with less than five seconds left to go ahead or t- go ahead or tie in the game. Since the tracking data, so we don't have the old data, LeBron's second all time to Kobe. So you could argue LeBron's the most clutch player in the history of the NBA. Agreed. Um, my fi- my final question before we wrap this up is gut feeling Lakers Warriors. Who do you got? After we've gone through all this whole segment, we saved it up for this moment. I'm going Warriors and seven because of Curry's shot making. Um, I think that down the stretch, the more basketball I'm watching, when the game slows down, LeBron's not the isolation player he used to be. And he's like Reeves or someone else is going to have to step up and hit some shots. But because you can just go to Steph Curry and just say, Steph, do it for us. He knew that a little better than any one of the Lakers can right now. Makes me slightly more comfortable with them. I'm going Warriors in seven. And this is the series I feel we're the least confident about my pick of the four. The East series, I'm pretty confident in my pick. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the West series. I don't feel good about either of my picks at all. Right. Gut feeling before we wrap this up. I might be speaking as a biased homer here, but I believe in all my heart and soul, LeBron will finally dethrone Steph and will knock out the defending champions because he's going to make the right play at the right time. And I, and I feel something special about this Laker team. And I said this before this were, these two are going to meet up, which we all thought I'm going with, the Lakers in seven games, and they will play the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference Finals, where we get to see LeBron and KD for the first time since 2018 of Christmas Day. I'm calling it right now. I'm sticking by it. Lakers in seven over Golden State. Wouldn't surprise me and would make me happy, so I don't have to hear the LeBron bullshit from the media. Yeah, yeah, like like, like the others who we fucking troll over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan Newman, um, owner of FDL Basketball, uh, filmed a live basketball. You can follow him on Twitter for Intags and Speedball Breakdown, former college basketball player. Uh, my man, great having you on the pod. This is a, this is great. Thanks for having me. Uh, really looking forward to watching this round. All the series, really. It's going to be, be a great round. It's going to be great. Thank you guys for listening to another edition of the Off the Dome podcast. Have a great day and night. Go get them.